These are the last days of Roman. Mr Abramovich is in the process of trying to sell Chelsea. And despite losing the League Cup final last weekend, the Blues are still in the mix for trophies at home and abroad. I'm Kevin Hatchard and this is Football Only Better. No swift exits for my tipping team today. Delighted to say that my regular betting buddy, Mark O'Hare, is part of the team as always. Mark, the politics and ethics around the Abramovich era and exit are probably for other podcasts. But I guess the question really for us is how it affects Chelsea in the short term, because it appears there are going to be fundamental changes to that club sooner rather than later. Yeah, I, I've pondered this myself. Uh, I've not actually listened to anyone sort of more informed than myself on the topics, but um, I was trying to ponder this going into the the week. Really, you know how the the team performed in the League Cup final, which I thought Chelsea played very well actually, um, and fully deserved to take that game to extra time and penalties. Um, and also midweek, um, I was interested to see how they react against Luton, a tricky tie in the FA Cup. But uh, clearly, Thomas Tuchel uh, shuffled his pack. The defence was a a bit of an unknown, really, and um, yeah, they, I guess they got through the the tie um, and and did what was required without really kind of pulling up any trees. But I think in the short term, I, I don't personally envisage anything drastically different to what Chelsea are doing. Uh, Tuchel was quite clear in his press conference; he didn't want to talk about the politics of the situation. He che- clearly wanted to just focus on the football. I'm a football coach, and that's all I am. I'm not a politician. I think to a certain extent that's fair enough. So if his job is to sort of keep the minds on the football and keep his players. Uh, focus, then I, I can see them getting through the end of the season, doing what's required and, and eventually finishing the top four quite comfortably, uh, possibly pushing to, to sort of consolidate themselves in third uh, and then possibly have a, a decent run in one of the Cups, uh, whether that's the Champions League or the FA Cup. I wouldn't rule out rule them out winning either of those competitions, knowing the strength of, of that squad. But yeah, possibly more sort of mid to long term, it might start to have an effect during the summer, I guess, when if things do start moving in terms of the, the club moving ownership and we'll get to a clearer picture then. But right now, I think from a player's perspective, yeah, of course, you're going to be asking questions and wondering, you know, is your contract going to continue to be paid at the current rate, etc. and so on. But I think, you know, football wise, I don't, I sort of not sort of changing my rating on Chelsea anything at all after what's happened in the last week. Odds compiler and betting expert Mark Stinchcombe is with us once again. Stinch, Chelsea go to Burnley this weekend, having squeezed past Luton, as we said, in the FA Cup on Wednesday. Chelsea 1.5 to take all three points at Turf Moor, which I thought was interesting because Burnley have beaten Spurs. They've drawn with Manchester United. They only lost 1-0 at home to Liverpool, gave them a couple of scares in that game. So I wonder if there's some scope to back the home side in some way. I don't really want to bat the home side, to be honest. I mean, they've only won three games all season, I think. Um, so the thing that stood out for me here was the, the goal line. Um, no surprise, it's 2.5. But I was looking at under 2.5, around about 4 to 5. Um, but given the fact that Chelsea are, as you say, 1.5 or 4 to 9, and the fact that Burnley have failed to win 25 of the last 28 matches, I thought I could actually steal an extra goal by backing the team that are rated at 69% chance of winning in Chelsea and under 3.5 goals at 10 to 11, especially now that uh, other than Chilwell long-term, they've nearly got a full, fully fit squad to choose from. So I kind of feel as though that extra class should ultimately shine through. 
um, they haven't been scoring buckets recently in um, you know in the sort of uh, league and in uh, European games. I mean the you know the cup games are a bit more variance with rotation and playing weaker opposition. Um, but I think the fact they've got Reese James back, um, if he starts on Saturday, I think that's a, a really big boost because I think in his absence, not that he's like he's obviously a very good player. Um, but I just think they haven't got like a, a natural replacement for somebody that is as adept at going forward as they are going back. Like Azpilicueta, a very good defender, but probably doesn't offer that much in attack. And then someone like Hudson Odoi or Pulisic, obviously very good going forward, but again, doesn't offer that um, stability defensively. So I just think they've missed James because he does both of those jobs really, really well. And the fact that you look at he's he's contributed with uh, 11 goals and assists combined this season. Um, you kind of mentioned Burnley. And I think we know exactly what we're going to get with them, particularly at Turf Moor. They're going to make the game tight. They're going to probably sit very deep, um, look to hit Veghorst uh, and play off him. Um, and you know it's, it, they've they've had under two and a half goals in nine of their eleven games at Turf Moor this season. But their record, as you kind of alluded to, against the better teams is really really good. To be fair, um, in terms of keeping the games low scoring, so it's two 0 defeat at Man City, a two 0 defeat at Liverpool, one one at Chelsea, nil nil at Arsenal. So very very good away from home. You know it's only. It's only conceded five goals in those four games. And then at home, they've lost 1-0 v Liverpool, drawn 1-1 with United, lost 1-0 uh, against Arsenal, beaten Spurs, as you mentioned, and then 0-0 with West Ham. So again, another lot of very low-scoring games. But if you look at the two matches that when Tuchel has faced Dyche since Tuchel's been in England, Chelsea have won 2-0 and drawn 1-1. But if you look at the, the data in those games, Chelsea have outshot Burnley 44-6. And wow. then you, you look at like the chance creation, Chelsea's expected goals is at 4.57 to Burnley's 0.85. So you kind of see basically, I think Chelsea and Tuchel know how to create chances against Burnley. So ultimately, I do see Chelsea making the breakthrough. And as I say, with Burnley's style of play, it doesn't lend itself to scoring goals. Um, and Chelsea actually, albeit under Lampard, scored three at Burnley last season. Um, so yeah, it kind of that's one kind of like, I don't think you really want to be back in under 2.5 Burnley against a top team because I think there's always a chance that the, the top team does get into the groove and obviously they have got high quality players so they can score low quality chances so I think yeah just trying to be a little bit clever here and basically back Chelsea at this sort of 4-9 to 1-2 to two. now they've got like as I say nearly a fully fit squad but then as I say trying to squeeze a bit more out of the goal line so yeah Chelsea under 3.5 at 10-11 to 11, envisaging kind of a comfortable 2-0 3-0 victory. Mark We've talked about the relegation battle quite a lot this season. It's quite interesting listening to Sean Dyche recently talk about how he feels his team in the second half of the season physically are stronger than a lot of sides and in terms of collecting points in the second half of the season. What's your assessment of kind of where they're at in the relegation battle right now? Because they've had some decent results. They have. Um, disappointed in their in their sort of performance against Leicester in midweek. Uh, they were beaten quite comfortably, actually, by the Foxes at Turf Moor. Uh, didn't really lay too much um, in terms of what they did in the final third against Leicester and got uh, you know drastically outplayed in terms of possession and chances conceded. Um, so that was a bit of a sh- surprise considering how they performed in, in other matches against the leading lights or teams who have plenty of attacking quality in forward areas. So, yeah, I think Burnley are kind of Burnley, what we've seen through the years. They've not changed... 
their colours too too much. I think they've upgraded in, in the forward departments with, with Wakehorse coming in. Uh, Maxwell Cornet seems to be flittering between excellent and, and kind of anonymous, which is possibly a bit of a concern from, from Sean Dyche's perspective. If he can get him firing, then those two really could be the key to, to survival, really. But it's a fascinating battle down there at the bottom. I wouldn't rule them out, but I also wouldn't rule them completely in either. So, um, you know, I think Norwich are probably gone. Uh, and from then, it's probably what? Two from two from six, really. Uh, still couldn't rule Newcastle out either, but I think, still think Burnley have something to find because at the moment the sort of uh, the transitions, there's something not quite right between the transitions, and I still think I need to see more from from Cornet doing it consistently. Um, Wakehorse can't do it all on his own at the moment, so uh, yeah, defensively sound. Uh, I know Ben Mee was injured as well, so uh, in midweek, which is a, a concern from a Burnley perspective. Not sure how serious that might be because that defence is is very reliant on those individuals as much as the collective. Now, we know it's frustrating when you get frozen out of a bet, so Betfair is now offering no cash-out suspensions on match odds over, under, and goal markets on the sportsbook, even during VAR reviews or when there's a penalty. Leeds United have fired Marcelo Bielsa and brought in American Jesse Marsh. Marsh had a tough time at RB Leipzig for various reasons. I think, ultimately, it wasn't a good ideological fit. I think the players at Leipzig wanted to maintain the kind of nuanced, tactically flexible possession game of Julian Nagelsmann and when Marsh arrived and wanted to go back to the Red Bull playbook and uh, play that vertical style, high press, they didn't really go for it. But I do think there is a lot to like. Stinch, what do you make of this change? Because I think people are still a bit torn on whether Bielsa should have been persisted with or whether it was time to make a change. Yeah, I'm normally quite... um anti-sacking managers um, because I, I definitely believe football still stuck a little bit in terms of results orientated decisions rather than um, the underlying performances which we know can be very uh, the results can be very volatile compared to what's happening on the pitch um, and I feel like Bielsa is massively handicapped by all the injuries um, and I don't know whether, for example, it's his decision last summer to sign Dan James rather than maybe somebody that could also play Bamford's role. So I feel like Bamford's absence has just been enormous. Um, and I feel like if maybe it was another player, maybe like a Dallas or Jack Harrison, not to like try and put those down, but if it was though one of those that had like a long-term injury rather than Bamford, I feel like Leeds definitely could have had another couple more wins. But then there's that sort of stubbornness regarding Bielsa, isn't he? The fact that, you know, he didn't seem as though he wasn't willing to be flexible, especially in the matches against the top teams and looking like going one-on-one uh, when in, in defence was, you know, it literally it was a matter of how many rather than whether Leeds yeah. were going to whether Leeds were going to lose. Um, Jesse Marsh, however, I'm a huge Jesse Marsh fan. Um, I feel like I just think you're again spot on that it was not necessarily the the wrong fit at Leipzig, but I think with a lot of young players um, at Leipzig and the the way they their business model, you know, obviously they lost Upper Makano and Kanate, obviously two exceptional defenders um i just think with having a lot of young players you just get a lot more volatility in terms of the um, consistency and performances so that didn't help him um and yeah i just feel like if given time he could have implemented the the style that, that he wanted to uh, but you can understand why leipzig uh, made the change 
Um, but yeah, Jesse Marsh did a fantastic job uh, job at New York Red Bulls in America. I know, like people might say, oh, it's only America kind of thing. But no, he had them playing in he had them playing in a really good style of football, and it was conducive to winning matches. And they they ultimately won the Supporters Shield, which is when you combine the two divisions together, who finishes on top. Um, felt like he. It's not the hardest job in the world, I don't think. I think any of us could do a job at Salzburg and win the trophies or win the league that we're expected to. But I felt again... Looking forward to us three being the new management (laughs) team at Salzburg for next season. Off you go, Yeisler, you're done. We're in. I felt I felt like he evolved the Salzburg team. Um, like I felt the performances in Europe were really really good. Like he went to Anfield and scored three. You know, against a Liverpool defence that is very very good. Um, and yeah, ultimately, I think I think he I think he will be a success at Leeds. But there's you know how quickly can he implement the style he wants to, and who's going to score the goals on a regular basis consistently? So yeah, I'm really torn. Up. Um, so I, I can definitely understand why it's such a difficult decision for the, the Leeds board to, to have had to make. Now, Leeds go to Leicester this Saturday lunchtime. I don't think we're going to see Leeds suddenly batten down the hatches. It's not Jesse Marsh's style. If you look at exactly what Stinch has just been talking about, he plays progressive football, attacking football. He's not a guy that's going to come in and start eking out 1-0 wins. We've talked about Leicester's defensive volatility all season long. I thought it was interesting that over three and a half goals in this game's trading at 2.38 on the exchange. That's paid out in 13 of Leicester's last 20 games in all competitions, 10 of the last 20 uh, for Leeds. And uh, that figure's even better if you look at um, the more recent run of form. So I think that may be the way to go. Elsewhere, Wolves still in the top eight. They could still qualify for Europe. They take on a Crystal Palace side that's edged into mid-table with some positive recent results, although they've still got work to do, actually, to secure safety. Stinch, why have you picked this one out? Same as last week, really, with Wolves. I'm trying to take advantage of these really low goal lines. So Wolves, uh, Palace, over two and a half goals is nearly six to four. And that's just not really the sort of odds is in keeping with the Premier League. Um, Premier League averages 2.77 goals per game this season. Last season, a similar amount in 2.68. Season before, 2.7. So we know historically that that's, that's what the Premier League is. And I think unless you've got, I think I've said this a few times, time unless you've got a team involved that is like ultra defensive like a Burnley for example um, then I think there's every reason to try and like take advantage here um, so I'm looking at the the two goal line here on the exchange around and overs is around about 1.93 so the only way the bet will lose is if there's zero one goals and I just don't in my opinion, I just don't see like professional gamblers or Asian syndicates backing under two goals I could understand maybe they go for under 2.25 or something for a little bit more security if that's the way they feel like this game is going to play out. And of course, it probably it probably will play out in 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 that style. That it will be low scoring. But I just think that when the opportunity is presented, that you can get, as I say, the only uh, way the bet will lose if there's zero one with in a league that, as I say, aids itself to lends itself to goals or at least, as I say, like 2.7. Seven on average. I mean, if you use that as a starting price, you'd be looking at over two goals at like 1.44. So the fact that we can get in like 1.93, I just think is is too big, too big a disparity not to try and take an advantage. I mean, we all know Wolves games are really low scoring. It's just 1.73 goals. But per there's game. an interesting point about that, isn't there, Stinch? Because I've looked at a few Wolves games recently with that in mind. 
And you look at the XG compared to what's actually happened. If you just looked at the table, you'd think, oh, wow, they're really dull. They don't score goals, but they don't concede them. If you actually look at the XG, it's something like there should have been 20 goals more in Wolves games. And so if you're looking at the data rather than simply the table, it does paint a completely different picture. Yeah, that's essentially what I'm trying to take advantage of. I mean, you look at the fact that they've got the joint fourth best defence in the league, which is obviously very, very commendable. But it's overachieving by 14 goals. And I've talked a lot about um, Jose Sar, obviously doing a really, really good job as a goalkeeper. Um, but you look at the, as we've talked about a few times, the post-shot expected goal metric, which a positive figure it tells us that the goalkeeper's either been very, very lucky or is overachieving, and then a negative fig- figure is the opposite. He's posting a figure of 9.4, which, when you look at when you compare it to other keepers, so De Gea's top with 10.7, which again is no surprise. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I've probably seen Man United a bit more this season because they're probably on TV a little bit more, and you see that De Gea puts in his regular performances. Um, third is Allison, and Allison's all the way back on 2.8. So if you take every single goalkeeper, the the median here is 0.55. So that tells you how much of an outlier of Jose Sarr and De Gea are. So again, that's kind of just where I'm I'm sort of trying to take advantage here. And I also think Palace, again, historically, one of the reasons why the the goal line or the goal expectancy here is just 2.2. Historically, Palace are an unders team, aren't they? You think of the last, what, four seasons under Hodgson? sit back, try and counter-attack, doesn't lend itself to high-scoring games. Whereas we see now under Vieira, again, they're trying to be a bit more proactive. And they have got a lot of very exciting players going forward, a lot of young English players, which I think is obviously very good to see for, for the national team. Think of likes of, I mean, he's not even getting a game at the moment, but Eze, uh, Michael Elise seems to have found himself a nice position on the right-hand side. Conor Gallagher, for me, arguably young player of the season. I think he's been absolutely superb, both boxes. Um, and yeah, when you look at Palace's games, I mean, they're averaging 2.78 goals per game and the expected goals at 2.64, so very much in keeping with that. Um, 22 of their 27 games have seen two or more goals, at 81%. So I kind of feel like, you know, if that stays in line, the, the odds are closer to 50% that, that you see two or more. And they've not, and because of this sort of change in style, they're not keeping clean sheets themselves, or, or at least keeping, um, you know, the defence tight as they once were. It's just two clean sheets in 16. So I think there's enough about both defences that that both attacks, you know, should fancy themselves. I think um, probably will be a low-scoring game, but it's everything at the end of the day comes down to price. And I just think that over two goals at 1.93 is gives you so much scope with uh with with potentially a higher scoring game that's in keeping with the rest of the league and as i say the underlying data which at the end of the day we can't rely on i think the the actual the actual goals that the the, the actual statistics essentially because football is such a low scoring game it doesn't always tell the true story so anyway <laughs> let's 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 wait for the nil nil on a saturday afternoon Inevitable, but I like that. I I completely agree with you about Wolves games because I think there has been that disparity for quite some time and you'd think that eventually results will actually catch up with the data. Now, do you feel that an unfair moment has cost you a winning bet? Well, let Dimitar Varbatov know. 
He's called Dimitar Berbatov, but we've used VAR to call him Varbatov. This is prize-winning stuff. Uh, let Dimitar Varbatov know, and you could get your bet paid out. Imagine that. Send any examples over the weekend of football injustice to at Betfair on social media using the hashtag VARBATOV, and the former Spurs and Manchester United striker will make his ruling. He's had no formal legal training, but lots of formal football training. Now, to the German Bundesliga, there is an all-star clash. Very exciting this as Bayern Munich take on informed Bayer Leverkusen at the Allianz Arena. Bayern eight points clear at the top, so there's a bit of room for manoeuvre for them. As for Leverkusen, full of goals. have done a lot of their games recently, and they are very exciting to watch despite the recent injury to star striker Patrick Schick. Mark O'Hare, how do we approach this one? Yeah, I think you sort of uh, teed it up for us, just back goals. And I think I'd be pro Bayern as well. Um, we've covered their game against Dortmund and, and Leipzig not so long ago. And Dortmund's match with Leverkusen, uh, both of which were, all of which were humdingers, really. And it's hard not to see these two producing goals and entertainment. Just on the, on the raw goals numbers, Leverkusen's games, 4.25 goals per game. Bayern's 4.21 you know, massive, massive figures for any league, really. Uh, together, 40 of their 48 Bundesliga games over two and a half, 67% over three and a half, 44% even went over four and a half, uh, and both teams have scored in 71% of those games. Uh, but what's most interesting to me is uh, I've put together Bayern, Dortmund, Leverkusen, and Leipzig's matches. Uh, I think the top four, uh, or those four teams, are, are comfortably the best teams in the division. Um, and yeah, they've played each other eight times this season. 42 goals in those eight games, which is 5.25 per game. We've had two three twos, a 2-1, a 3-1, a 4-1, a 4-3, a 5-1 and a 5-2. <laughs> so all eight over two and a half. Six have gone over three and a half and all eight have seen both teams scoring. And six of those have gone over four and a half goals. Uh, madness, really. But um, yeah, I mean, Bayern just tend to come to the party in these matches. I think we've talked about it previously. They, they love kind of, them. They, they absolutely coast. love them. They do. They coast against the bottom half and they can get caught out and have a few tricky results here and there. But look at their record against the top half. 100% record this season, which kind of blew me back a bit, actually. I wasn't quite sure it was that good. But yeah, 10 wins from 10, eight of which included both teams scoring. All 10 went over two and a half, eight went over three and a half. And obviously they've got a history of, of absolutely wiping the floor with Leverkusen as well. Uh, the reverse game was 5-1. I think it's 10 head-to-head wins in 13 too. So, you know, I could go on, but it's probably a bit dull just listing numbers. But yeah, I expect Bayern to win the match. They tend to raise themselves. It's a whole podcast, Mark. What are you talking about? <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's 2.3 for Bayern to win and both teams scoring, which which stood out. You know, the goal expectancy here is at four. The goal line is set about three and three quarters. The handicap is one and a half in favour of Bayern. So basically the market is saying that Bayern win this match 3-1. I wouldn't disagree with that, but I do believe it might even be higher scoring than that. So uh, we're going to enter our, our favourite market as well, which is uh, both teams scoring at least two goals, which is 23-10 to 10 on the sportsbook. Uh, Bayern have done it 18 times in the Bundesliga this season. Leverkusen have done it 17 times. And I think the team news is quite uh, favourable. I know, obviously, Sheik is injured, but uh, look at the Bayern's injuries too. Uh, they're without uh, Davies, Goretzka, Hernandez and Tolisso. Uh, so they're having to field like a, a different sort of system and formation at the minute. And Neuer is a major doubt as well. So, you know, I look at that midfield and I think uh, it's passable from a Leverkusen perspective and the defence is always kind of uh, a bit ropey from a Bayern perspective with the opportunities they allow in transitions and counter-attacks which Leverkusen should absolutely love. Just go this game is at 2.30 on Saturday really. Yeah it's an interesting one because actually that would normally be um, in that kind of individual slot 
um, where we could enjoy it. But I'm sure there'll be a rerun somewhere or some kind of perfectly legal stream, I imagine, <laughs> that you will locate. Um, one to watch, actually, in this game, I think, Jeremy Frimpong who is a fantastic right-back for Leverkusen. He's basically a right-winger. That's how he plays. And he's been sensational uh, this season for them. I think six Bundesliga assists in this campaign. So he's worth a look maybe in the anytime assist market. I'm also going to back RB Leipzig. Minus one on the Asian handicapper evens against Freiburg. Uh, Leipzig in fantastic form right now. Won nine of the last 12 in all competitions. They wiped the floor with Hanover in the DFB Pokal on Wednesday in the quarterfinals. Freiburg hanging in there. Amazing that they're even still in the mix when it comes to the Champions League. But they've only won two of the last seven on the road. I don't think they're playing as well now as they have been for much of the season. They were smashed 5-1 at Borussia Dortmund recently. And I just think Leipzig uh, are going to have a bit too much for them. Uh, given the form that they're showing, Christopher and Kunku outrageous right now uh, in terms of his form. So I do think that Leipzig can win that one and win it by a couple of goals. Let's dip into the EFL, shall we? Stinch, you're going back to a familiar side in Oxford United. Yeah, I think rinse and repeat here, Kev. Last weekend back, Oxford to win over 1.5 goals and despite going 1-0 behind and 2-1 behind came back to, to beat Cambridge 4-2 and and it was, it was quite comfortable in the end I mean um, Cambridge both of their goals kind of came against a run of play uh, I think the second goal came from a as a result of an Oxford corner so it just kind of uh, kind of goes to show the sort of gung-ho football that Oxford kind of play at times to be honest they play in the right manner you know they play this modern template that that we kind of uh, associate with with how sort of Man City and Guardiola evolve in the game. So I think it's always conducive to, to back these kind of teams if possible. And and yeah, it's the it's the same bet Oxford to win over 1.5 goals at home to Burton at evens. Oxford are four to six, so just kind of um, juicing up to, to evens, given the fact that uh, say Oxford won 18 games this season, 16 have been other by uh, other score lines than one nil. So um, not envisaging a, a one nil win, but if you wanted to be a bit more um, conservative you could maybe back Oxford minus three quarters on the on the Asian line around a similar price so if Oxford did only win uh, one nil you'd get half your your money back but you know they've scored the most goals in the division which is obviously uh, you know very good uh, statistic in their favor uh, they've won 10 out of 12 at home to sides outside of the top 10 uh, by an aggregate score of 31 to 11 so you know plus 20 goal difference there and they're playing a Burton side who failed to keep a clean sheet in the last 17 games. And their record against the top 10 makes for grim reading, really. They've lost 11 of 15 against the top 10. And if you look away from home, it's 8 out of 9 they've lost away from home. And Oxford have got a good record against Burton recently. They've won the last three meetings, 3-1, 4-0 and 5-1. And two of those were Carl Robinson against Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, which is going to be the matchup on Saturday. So uh, I've... I get it when people say, you know, you can't read too much into head-to-head statistics. I'm not reading too much. I'm just sort of painting a picture. But, you know, it's going to be the same managers. It's a lot of the same similar players. Um, So, yeah, clearly the Oxford style of football causes Burton lots of problems. And I just think maybe Burton, um, they sit 14th with 10 games to go. They're 15 points off the playoffs, 13 off relegation. And they've lost five of the last eight. So it kind of feels they're just sort of maybe just meandering towards the end of the season. Not a lot to play for. Oxford are fourth. Um, 
not that many points clear of the teams outside the playoffs and they've all got games in hand of, um, on Oxford. So I think Oxford's focus is very much on on cementing that, that promotion or, or cementing that playoff spot, I should say. So yeah, it could be kind of the early season. Uh, you know, if this was maybe in a month's time, you might see Oxford a bit shorter price because of the motivation factor. So yeah, maybe looking a little bit ahead of time, given the fact that Oxford last week were one to two against a similar uh, ability in, in team and they're now four to six. So yeah, just continuing along that sort of uh, edge um, of uh, backing Oxford to win and, uh, and goals in their games, essentially. It's really interesting on that theme. I'm going to be self-indulgent now and use presenter's privilege to basically just ask something that I'm interested in. Um, I haven't prepped the guys for this, but I'm just genuinely interested. So, Mark, exactly the kind of thing Stinch has do- just done. So he's taken uh, an odds-on favourite who we think are going to win at home, but has found another way with the bet builder to kind of boost that price a bit. And you see you know, teams maybe that are 1.65 or 1.7 at home, how useful is it to kind of use the bet builder to find something to get you up towards that evens mark? Because that evens mark always seems to be the kind of magic figure that you're trying to get to maybe. Yeah, I think it's really handy. Um, betting has evolved a hell of a lot in the last sort of decade or so. This this wasn't an opportunity we used to have. We, we used to have like you, you could either back the home team at sort of one point six or, or or kind of back a goals angle. You could never really combine the two, and I think it's really handy to do both really because you know just adding over one and a half goals just eliminates the one nil correct score. Well, how often does that happen? You know, we've got all this data and, and, and figures and stats available to us. Why not use them? And, and there's an opportunity there to combine the two. So there's a, a La Liga game we're going to talk about um, later in the show, which I'm doing exactly that. I'm taking a, a team at a re- relatively short price and just adding in a goals angle. Um, doesn't always have to be overs, can be unders as well. And it just gives you that flexibility, really. Um, yeah, I'm a sucker to it. I do it all the time. Um, I think it's just a great way in sort of boosting the price, particularly with you know heavy favourites. Yeah, because Stitch, you talk about sustainable edges a lot, and it, and it seems that that's a great way of doing it, isn't it? Because you might look at, I know in in days gone by, people would say, oh well, if you're backing odds shot, odds on shots at home, that's the way to the poorhouse. You shouldn't be doing that. But actually, now you've got all of these kind of extra ways of combining bets. It's changed it a bit, hasn't it? Yeah, you still. I think you still have to be wary that you're no longer backing a single, though. You're now kind of backing a double, if you like. Although it's not like it's not like officially a double you are still relying on two angles to to win for your bet to win essentially but i think it just comes down to risk v reward so the example i just gave as i say four to six to evens and you're only losing one score line which you know you look you look into how often it happens and you you look at the style of play it just doesn't add up that it's not worth that risk if you like right um yeah, I think that's all it comes down to. I wouldn't go too mad, you know. I wouldn't start going, you know, throwing in a third leg, a fourth leg, a fifth leg. Um, and and if you want, you can still you could still just bat the single, nothing against it, kind of thing. But I think we're you know we're on here to try and kind of uh, you know not tip up sort of one point three shots or whatever. You know, we're trying to trying to ex- extend uh, the value of possible. And as I say, like if that's not your style of betting, I. You know, as I mentioned, and maybe Mark will as well, you mentioned, you know, I said you could go down the Asian handicap route, um, which is kind of where your professionals would would head to because um, you know there's a bit more liquidity, and if you're you, if you're break if you're turning over like a lot of money, um, you are going to get a little bit more value in those Asian handicaps because just because they're traded to a lower margin. 
you know, the Asian handicap generally traded uh, sort of 104, 103% kind of thing. Whereas we're looking on, um, you know, 1x2 on a League One game, you're looking at probably 108%. So that's just, it's just those sort of fine margins. But it all comes down to personal preference at the end of the day. And, and it is basically just, uh, you know, weighing up that risk, that risk reward angle because, I don't know, something happens like, uh, say, let's say uh, in the Oxford game, Oxford get a red card and they're 1-0 up. They're likely to probably shut up shop, aren't they? They probably won't carry on yeah. attacking. So, yeah, it just comes down to that risk fee reward. But I just think four to six to evens in this in this instance is 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 uh, is worth the, the risk. But let's say it was maybe four to six to four to five. I'd be like, well, I'll just stick with the four to six angle because that's a lot a lot more safer. And I'm, and I'm not really getting a big a, a big enough boost to make it worthwhile. So, yeah, I think individual matches and individual preferences. But it, it certainly uh, it certainly is a good way to you know get a bit more out of the the value you're essentially you know the, the your entrance into that particular bet always good to have a deeper look at the kind of strategies that we're using and worth bearing in mind by the way our excellent multiples offer is running every day bet 20 pounds on multiples or bet builders and receive a five pound free bet to use on multiples or bet builders t's and c's apply the la liga title race is still alive real madrid six points ahead of sevilla as they take on real sociedad mark carlo ancelotti's side Heavily reliant on Vinicius, Karim Benzema and Thibaut Courtois, it seems to me, this season. <laughs> but it's working. They're all getting the job done. They are, and they just happen to be a little bit better and a little bit more consistent than the, the chasing pack, really. It's, I don't think La Liga fans will be too disappointed to hear me say it's been quite a low-quality league so far this season. But uh, Madrid's consistency is, is winning the race at the moment, and I do expect them to see the season out quite comfortably. Big game in midweek for them against PSG. So um, I think they'll be playing on their minds coming into this match against Real Sociedad, who, in my opinion, uh, not just my opinion, but I think in the underlying process as well, we'll see that they've regressed quite significantly since uh, November's international break. And yeah, it's been they've... a big drop, hasn't it? I was looking at this the other day, and it's quite a significant decline for them, isn't it? It has, yeah, and it's all coming down to what they're doing in the final third, uh, which is not finishing or not creating opportunities either. And they've had a difficult week as well. Um, they've had to go to Mallorca on Wednesday night, and this match is taking place on Saturday. So in La Liga terms, that's, that's quite heavy in terms of a schedule. And they've obviously also had the European commitments as well, which didn't go to plan. Um, they did beat Mallorca, uh, but getting back from from the island to San Sebastian and then turning around to go to Madrid. Uh, quick turnaround, uh, just their fourth win in 13 league games. Um, they were out of the Champions League qualification running, but that victory has actually propelled them back into contention. But as I said, their issues in the final third, they failed to score in seven of those 13 games. And they've only twice scored multiple goals, one of which was against Mallorca, but the other was at home to um, struggling Granada. So away from home, uh, struggling to score goals as well. Thrashed in the derby a fortnight ago against Athletic, which is a really shocking result and performance. And their record against the top nine so far this season failed to score in six of ten and winless in those ten games. Um, so yeah, I looked at their, their sort of... Um, underlying process across the last eight to 12 game splits and their ranking sort of middling in mid-table at best really. So uh, I just think the extra toll of playing midweek, playing last week in Europe and going to the Bernabeu kind of uh, on a taxing week, Real Madrid have had a, a relatively quiet one. Uh, and as we say, Madrid just keep coasting at the moment, four clean sheets on the spin. They don't give up goals easy at home, 0.61 goals per game against in the league. And like Bayern, their record against the best teams in the division 12 wins, 3 draws and 0 defeats against the top 12. That includes 8 clean sheets and conceding multiple goals just the once. So, yeah, 
kind of similar to what we've been talking about really i'm boosting the price on a real madrid win from around 1.6 to 1.9 by adding under four and a half goals uh, i think it's a reasonable increase i just think we're at the business stage of the season now where you know style and swagger is irrelevant it's all about the results getting the results and moving on to the next challenge which is psg i think if madrid are one or two goals up in the second half they close up shop and and move on uh, they've got a relatively fully fit squad um i think alaba is the only player missing uh, nacho already made replacement in there at center half uh, and Sociedad do have a reasonable injury list as well. So effectively backing the 1-0, 2-0, 3-0, 4-0, 2-1 and 3-1 correct scores here. Uh, and that's landed in 10 of their 12 wins against the top 12. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't expect Sociedad to, to turn them over. Well, now it's time for the world-famous podcast treble, a betting feature so popular that Steven Spielberg admits that in his shark spectacular Jaws, he almost changed the iconic line, you're going to need a bigger boat, to you're going to need a bigger bet, only to be overruled by studio bosses because it wouldn't have made any sense. Uh, how this works, by the way, is all three of us have a selection from the weekend's action. Our lovely, delightful traders wrap them up in a boosted treble. I'm going to start uh, because I'm mean and I'm going to chuck in Leeds against Leicester over two and a half goals at 1.56. I know that's not very racy, uh, but I'm going to kind of give us a, a kind of solid start uh, to the piece. I think Leeds are still going to be front foot. I think Jesse Marsh will make a few tweaks here and there. I don't fancy Leicester defensively at all. Uh, and I think we are going to see goals uh, in that game for the reasons I mentioned earlier in the show. Stinch, I'm going to go with you. It might not sound a racy price, but I think it might be racy value. If that's a, even okay. close even close to a saying. Um, Chelsea, uh, 4-9 to nine away at Burnley. Liverpool were 1-4 to four away at Burnley a couple of weeks ago. And I think we saw last week that Chelsea and Liverpool, not that far apart in terms of ability. So I think the, to go from 1-4 to four to 4-9 uh, to nine for Burnley's opposition, I think is a too big a jump. So yeah, Chelsea 4-9. to nine. If we started a band, it would definitely have to be called Racy Value, I think. Uh, <laughs> and to our lead singer, Marco Hare. Uh, he left me with the scraps. Uh, I'm going to take uh, Arsenal to win at Watford, uh, which I will talk about on the Sunday show. Um, I think Arsenal are in a, a good groove right now. They tend to come to the party when they play the lesser lights in the Premier League. Very consistent in that regard. And I'm yet to see how Watford have improved in terms of what they're doing in the final third. Obviously, defensively much sounder under Roy Hodgson, but you know they have to start scoring goals if they're going to fight their way out of trouble. So I expect Arsenal will do a job. Uh, Watford have lost 14 of 16 games against teams in 12th and above. The two that they didn't lose were both against Man United. Ah, interesting. And we will discuss them on the Sunday show that Mark has mentioned. But that's all we have time for on this particular edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. Every single Premier League and Champions League game gets its own dedicated preview on betting.betfair.com. Loads of Cheltenham Festival content on there too. From Mark, from Stinch and from me, it's goodbye for now. <laughs>